Let us hear the word of God. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside, and he said, Look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenezites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and Jebusites. Thus ends our reading of God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you made a covenant with Abraham 4,000 years ago, and that covenant is still binding. And we thank you that we are benefactors of that covenant. Help us to understand how over all the hundreds of years that have passed since the time about which we read in Scripture tonight, that over all these years you have been true to your first commitment to the vow that you made to Abraham. Give to us faith to believe and eyes to see the great purpose that you had as it stretched over the centuries and has come to us. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Abraham, the covenant of promise. Now you get to the heart of things. Just imagine, if you will, what it would be like if you were the high priest of Israel. Imagine that you donned a special cloak that was pure white. Imagine that you had a special turban that you put on your head. And on that turban was in, 
was a golden plate in, with the phrase, Holiness to the Lord. And imagine that while all the thousands of Israel were gathered outside the church, which was really just a tent at that time, you and you alone were to go into the most holy place. Imagine what it would be like as you pulled those tent curtains and went into that place and you saw on the one side the, the table of showbread with the manna that was there to remind you of God's provision. And then on, on the other side, you saw that seven-branched candlestick burning, providing that eerie light inside that most holy place. And then you came to the altar of incense where you were going to put some special perfumed offerings that it might enter into the presence of God. But that wasn't all. There was another curtain. And even you did not go behind that curtain except one day in the year. Perhaps you could vaguely remember what it was like the year before, but would it be the same this year? Would God suddenly come out and strike you as you entered into that most holy place? Or would God receive you? You had in your hand a bowl, and you were counting on what was in that bowl. What was in the bowl? It was a dark red substance. It was blood. The blood of a sacrifice that you had offered outside that now you were to take through that second curtain and you were hoping, you were praying that God would find that sacrifice acceptable because you knew that he could strike you dead at any moment. One time, on one occasion, a king dared to come into that most holy place. Perhaps he had his crown on his head at that time, but he did not have that golden plate that said holiness to the Lord on his forehead. And when he came out of that most holy place, leprosy had struck him in the forehead. And he died many years later as a leper because he had dared to enter into that most holy place. No doubt with trembling hands you would begin to part that curtain as you entered into that most holy place. Just by the dim light of the candles, you could see, you could see those golden cherubim with their wings spread out over the Ark of the Covenant. And then you would go in and you would offer prayers on behalf of the people of God. You would sprinkle that altar with the blood. And there would be apparently, so far as we can tell, some slight strange light that was above that square table, covered with gold, and beneath the wings of the angels, some strange light symbolizing the presence of God himself there. And at the feet of God, as it were, you would stand and you would offer the blood. You would consecrate the people and their prayers before God. What an experience it must have been for the high priest of God to enter into the most holy place. Now when you read in Genesis chapter 15 about blood again and the splitting of animals, you are entering the most holy place. 
For here is where God first bound himself by the covenant to redeem men from sin. Here is where God himself, by the splitting of these carcasses, indicated his readiness, if necessary, to shed his own blood that men might be redeemed from sin. Let's look a minute at the circumstances that led up to this most solemn occasion as it is is described in Genesis chapter 15, as it leads us into the most holy place of God. Back in a little town called Ur, Abraham was a herdsman like anyone else. And perhaps it was a starry night, perhaps at this time of year before the leaves had come out to cover the branches of the trees so you couldn't see the stars very well. Abraham had had a good supper and maybe he was a little drowsy and he was leaning against a tree and looking up at the stars. Then he hears a voice. He was thinking in himself and he thought, is this something that I'm thinking about in my mind or was that a voice that I really heard that said, Abram. Well, it was the voice of God. And at that particular point, God gave to Abram some tremendous promises. God said, three things I'm going to promise you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a seed. And I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. I want you to go to the place that I will show you And I will give you a land, I will give you a seed, and I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now as you consider these original promises that were given to Abraham, you have to go back to the original covenant, the covenant of creation, the covenant that God made with man when he first made him. For that's how you can understand the promise of the land. God had said, fill the earth and subdue it to Adam. And when God promises to Abram a land, it's not just that he wants to give him a little square parcel of ground. It's not that he wants him to move over to the Middle East to that little juncture where the nations of the world would cross over the centuries. It was that he was giving him that land as a symbol of the new heavens and the new earth that God would provide in the covenant of redemption. Why did God promise the land? Not just because he was interested in real estate, not just because Abraham might be interested in real estate, but as a symbol, as a representation of the fact that God would redeem the whole earth. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, you read very interestingly that Abraham was promised that he would be heir of the cosmos. That's the word that's used there. Heir of the cosmos, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. You check it out in your Greek New Testament, and that's what you'll find. It's not just Palestine that was promised to Abram. It was promised, uh, Palestine was promised to him as a symbolic representation that he would be an heir of the whole world, that is, of the new heavens and the new earth. Then Abram was also promised that he would have a seed. See those stars up there? As you're leaning your back against that tree, your seed shall be as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Now, Washington is a blessed city in that you don't have much industry here. And you can get a pretty good vision as to what the stars were like. But did you know, I have heard, I cannot verify it, but I've heard that there is a pretty high suicide rate 
among astronomers. They look into their telescopes and they don't just see the thousands of stars that you and I see. They see millions and billions and billions of stars, so numerous that it would be impossible for anyone to comprehend. And they're all in a, moving in a perfectly ordered fashion. And the astronomer simply can't cope with that if he doesn't understand the reality of God the Creator. He just can't conceive of a universe so massive and so orderly. Now God said to Abram, as numerous as the stars, so shall your seed be. You're going to be a blessed man, Abram. You're going to have children all over the place. They're going to be running all over your ears. You're not going to have a, all over your house, that is. They're going to be shouting in your ears. You're not going to know what to do with so many children you're going to have. And thirdly, the Lord said to Abram, you are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God, and that is the essence of Abraham's blessing. I'm going to be your God. I am going to belong to you. You belong to me. That's obvious. But the thing that isn't so obvious is, I, as Almighty God, am going to belong to you. I am going to be your God. All the power that I have as Almighty God is going to be at your disposal. All the knowledge that I have as Almighty God is going to be working for you. I am going to be yours. Now that was the beginning. That was the background. That was the context of the covenant that God made with Abram. And Abram was obedient. He traveled to a land that he did not know. He just headed off not knowing where he was going. And then he didn't hear from God for a long time. Many years passed by, and he didn't hear from God. Well, you say, well, Abraham could have taken out his testament and read a little bit to remind himself of the promises of God. He didn't need to have God speak to him. Oh, no. How much Bible did Abraham have? Not one word of the Bible was written in the days of Abraham. He lived 500 years before Moses portion of inspired scripture. He didn't have a Bible to encourage him. He just had to wait for God. And so decades passed. Perhaps here and there God spoke to him, but Abram went to the land. He went to the place that God had promised him. And what did he get? What did he see? Nothing. After many years, he didn't even own a postage stamp in terms of a plot of ground in Palestine. As far as children were concerned, Abraham was getting older and older and Sarah was getting older and older, approaching that age where it was impossible, would be impossible for her to bear any children. And he didn't have the first little infant child. And as far as being a blessing to the nations of the world, well, he went down into Egypt and he did a little lying there. He did a little white lying, you might say, a little half-truth. Of course, a half-truth is always a whole lie. And he told this half-truth, this is my sister. Well, it was also his wife, of course. This is my sister. So the Pharaoh took Abram's wife and had her in his house. And because he had Sarah in his house, God 
cursed the Egyptians. God brought a curse down upon the Egyptians. And here God had said that he was to be a blessing to all the nations, and here Abram is a curse to all the nations. Now finally, God appears to Abram. Now what would you do if you were sitting now under a different tree in a different land, and you were looking out at the stars and Finally, you hear that voice saying, Abram again. You'd probably jump up and say, where is he? I want to talk to him. I've got something I want to talk to you about, Lord. What's happening anyway? You promised me all of these things, and yet nothing seems to be happening. I don't have a land. I don't have a seed. I can't be a blessing to the nations of the world. And then God makes the covenant. Then God makes the covenant. Literally, the scripture says, he cuts the covenant. God cut a covenant. It doesn't say Abram cut a covenant with God. It says God cut a covenant with Abram. Now let's just look a moment at what's going on here in this covenant. One of the important things that you can see in this covenant, in this context, is that the covenant is a way of assurance. The covenant is the way that God gives Abram assurance. Now, if you are like me, not a day passes by that you don't have some doubts that God is with you. You get into one situation or another, and, and you just have that little flutter. Maybe it's bigger than a flutter in your heart. Maybe you feel like your feet are being kicked out from under you, and you really wonder is God with you? And then you're tempted to start scrambling. You're tempted to start building up a little reserve here, getting a little certain over here, just in case God really isn't with me, I've got an out over here. So the covenant is made so you can know. That's the context in which this covenant is established. See what Abram says in verse 15 of Genesis? Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land. And then in verse 13, then the Lord said to him, knowing you shall indeed know. In other words, be assured, Abram, that what I have promised is going to come to pass. So if you have any doubts, anybody have any doubts? If you have any doubts about God's intention to bless you, if on any given day you have some questions in your mind as to what God is doing with you and why he is doing it, you come back to the covenant. You remember again how God made this covenant, how solemnly he committed himself in this covenant, and you will begin to see the barometer of assurance rise. To the degree that you perceive the reality of God's covenant to you, to that degree you can be assured of God's blessing, everything in your life. So it's a context of assurance. Now, a second aspect of this covenant that God establishes is that it is a context of prophecy. Now, everybody's interested in prophecy. If you want to sell a religious book, write about prophecy, and people will eat it up. They're curious. They want to know what's going to happen in the future. Don't you wish that you could tell people what's going to happen in the future? Well, sometimes... You wouldn't want to tell people what's going to happen in the future. But it would be an intriguing thing if you had the power to know 
what is going to happen in the future. Well, let me tell you, by the covenant you can know what is going to happen in the future. You can be absolutely assured of what is going to transpire both in this life and in that which is to come because the covenant is given in a context of prophecy. In other words, this is not instant remedy. We're in a day in which we want everything instant. Instant coffee, instant everything. But the covenant is not something that is instantaneous. It's something that spans the years. It spans the decades. It spans the generations. Now look at some of the prophetical dimensions of this covenant. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your seed will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. Now, when I said just a minute ago, don't you wish you could know what the future holds, I saw a few people saying no. We don't want to know what the future holds because it can mean rough water for us. And that's exactly what the Word of God says. I bind myself in covenant to you that you're going to have a rough time. I promised you the land, but for 400 years, you're going to live outside that land. I promised you that you were going to have the land flowing with milk and honey, but for 400 years, you're going to be enslaved in Egypt. And you're going to have to work. And when you're put in your 12 hours and are dead tired and can't make it anymore, those slave drivers are going to beat you and make you work even harder for 400 years. Now, people of God, you might as well face up to all the apostle has said in the inspiration of the word of God that only through much persecution are you to enter the kingdom of God. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Our Lord Christ said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, crucifixion would be bad enough once. Three hours on a cross would be bad enough once. But Jesus says, as a Christian, you can expect daily crucifixion. Now, that's a good way to empty a church. Who wants to get involved in a covenant in which you're bound and told, in which God has committed himself, that you are going to have to suffer many things? Well, that's not the end. And there's a reason for this. There's a framework for this suffering. And suffering is not all that you're going to get. Are experiencing so much of the blessing of God. Who, me, suffering? Why, what a blessing. I can hardly notice the trials that I'm having. And as a matter of fact, most of the time that is the case. You hardly notice the trials because of the blessing that comes into your life. Now notice, secondly, the prophecy is that this period of trial is going to end with judgment. Verse 14, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. There's a day of judgment coming. And all the wicked shall be brought to account for every wicked deed that they have done. And they shall be brought to judgment. 
Even as God brought a terrible judgment on the Egyptians, so in the last day, this time of great trial and tribulation that we experience in the covenant is going to be consummated and which the wicked are going to be judged. Be assured of it. The righteous judge is going to set everything right in the end. Now, third prophecy is, in this prophecy, is that God is going to bless you even as you go through your trials. God is going to sanctify you even and sanctify to you even your tribulations. Notice what it says of Abraham in verse 15. You will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. What a blessing. You've seen these humorous movies of buildings falling down and cars colliding behind, behind someone that's walking down the street and they're not even aware of what's going on. Many times a Christian is in that circumstance. A thousand may fall at your right hand and ten thousand shall at your left, but it will not come near you. The plague will be kept from your house. Only as God can see it for your good will you experience trial and tribulation. You can do nothing to me, says Jesus to Pilate, except it be given to you of my Father in heaven. And you can be assured that no trial, no tribulation is going to come to you except one that is intended to blessing. Look at Genesis 24, verse 1, and you can see how God did fulfill that covenant promise to Abram. Genesis 24, verse 1, Abram was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. That's a part of the covenant. And that's what you can expect in the future. You can be absolutely assured of it. The Lord is going to bless you in every way. He's pledged himself to it. Now, one more element about the prophetic dimension of the covenant. And that's found in verse 16. And that is that in the context of the covenant, God will continue to show mercy to the wicked. In the fourth generation, your seed will come back here. For the sin of the Amorite has not yet reached its full measure. Why is it? Why is it that God doesn't end the misery, the tragedy, the suffering that so many Christians are experiencing? Why is it that you must keep on going from day to day? Well, it's because God is showing mercy toward the wicked. God wants the gospel to be preached to a few more that they also may experience the blessings of eternal life and eternal salvation. And even when the wickedness of the Canaanites had reached its apex so that God could not endure them anymore and brought Israel out of Egypt and brought them to the land of Canaan, the first family that they meet is a Canaanite family with the name of one woman named Rahab. And God saves even that Canaanite woman, Rahab, and her family. So you can be assured that what is going to be happening over this period of time is God's mercy. A thousand years is as a day in the sight of the Lord, and a day is a thousand years. But those thousand years are there to express God's mercy 
toward sinful men. You can endure it for a little bit longer for the sake of the salvation of more sinful men. For God's glory ultimately is going to be realized in the salvation of sinners. Now those are four elements about the future that you can be absolutely sure of. You're going to have trial, and it's going to be throughout your life. That trial is going to be climaxed by God's judgment on the wicked. God is going to preserve and bless you even in that context. And all of this is to show mercy to the wicked and ultimately to give glory to God's name. Now the final element of this covenant, as we look at it, is that it is a covenant that involves an oath of self-malediction. An oath of self-malediction. Abram fell into a deep sleep. After he had prepared these animals, cutting these gory animals in two, and setting their bloody pieces face to face apart from one another, making a path of an aisle, you might say. And then he saw a very strange thing. He saw a smoking pot and a flaming torch passing between those pieces. What is the meaning? What is going on here? The scripture says, when Abram saw that smoking pot and that flaming torch passing between the pieces, it was at that time that God cut a covenant with Abraham. And you know what's there? The heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is right there. For this was an old and ancient custom, a way by which people bound themselves to one another. You know, the Indians of America used to talk about being made blood brothers. And perhaps when you were a kid, you even thought about pricking a little finger here and mixing blood with your friend and you bound yourself in blood covenant with one another. Well, in the olden days, they had a much more dramatic circumstance in which they cut the animals in two and they walked between the pieces of those animals. And by walking between the pieces of those torn apart animals, they were saying, may God do to my body the same way these animals have been torn apart if I violate the word I say to you. I make a promise to you and may my body be torn apart just as these animals have been torn apart if I violate my word of promise to you. Now that is what happened with Abraham. But the amazing thing to notice is that it was God and God alone that passed between those pieces. Normally, both parties pass between the pieces of a covenant. Most, normally, both parties pledge themselves to have their flesh torn apart if they violated that covenant. But here you have the smoking pot and the flaming torch representing the presence of God but you don't have Abram passing between the pieces. What does that mean? It means that God said to Abraham on that occasion, Abraham, if I break this covenant, may my flesh, as it were, be torn apart. And Abraham, if you violate the covenant, may my flesh be torn apart. In other words, God said to Abraham, I take the full responsibility of both parties in this covenant. 
whether you violate or you sin or whether I should violate the covenant, I will assume the full responsibility of this covenant. You see why this is a way of giving assurance? God says, I am going to do it all for you. And you know what is at the end of that aisle? If you look over the corridors of history 2,000 years down from Abraham, you know what's at the end of that aisle? It's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus ran the bloody gauntlet. And because Abraham did sin, Jesus Christ, as it were, had his flesh torn apart. Jesus Christ, in order to assure the fact that Abraham would inherit the new heavens and the new earth, in order that Abraham would receive the blessing of children innumerable, in order that Abraham would be the, have the blessing of having God with him, Jesus Christ was crucified. And so the covenant was fulfilled. God made a commitment on that occasion, and Christ fulfilled that commitment. 2,000 years after God made the promise to Abraham, Christ was crucified to fulfill that promise. How can I know, says Abraham, Lord, I don't have anything. And God said, I promise. It's going to come to pass, just as I said. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we contemplate Christ on the cross, and we cannot fully understand all that transpired there. But we know that Christ's crucifixion was the center of all human history, and the fulfillment of all your promises and purposes. We now turn away from all our own anxieties, our fears, our uncertainties, and we look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Help us now, O gracious Father, to know your love to be so great that you would give your only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now you will find in your bulletin an insert.